So ultimately, the financial savings, the carbon savings, and the positive influence on job satisfaction made this an extremely quick and cheap triple bottom line solution. And when I personally saw these results, I decided to bet my life on this. Hello, everyone, family, friends, work colleagues, and awesome folks who I haven't met yet, but are trying to make the world a better place. Welcome to the first episode of The Net Zero Life. I'm your host, Nathan Svee, and I'm on a journey to bring the world closer to net zero emissions. I plan to do this in two ways. On a personal level, I'm committing to becoming net zero by the end of 2021. And on a public level, I'm interviewing founders, CEOs, and everyday entrepreneurs working to fight the climate crisis here on The Net Zero Life podcast. My goal in speaking to these climate innovators is to learn how they mesh their sustainability-minded values with their desire to be successful professionals. So you and I can learn how we can tackle one of humanity's greatest problems together. Accompanying me on this journey are Tani Levitt, executive producer of The Net Zero Life, and Mitch Bernstein from the band Climb On, who composed our original theme and score. A quick note so I don't get sued. I work in tech and logistics. Everything you hear on this show is my opinion and is not representative of my employer. Let's turn to today's show. There's a couple technical terms you need to know before we get started. First, scope one, two, and three is a framework for assigning responsibility for emissions. Practically speaking, when you drive a car, you burn gas, also known as tailpipe emissions. This is scope one. Scope two is electricity consumed. For most of us, that's our energy bill. Scope three is everything else from raw extraction of materials to the disposal of the product and all the emissions in between. Colloquially, this is known as cradle to grave or well to wake. Second is emissions itself. Also known as greenhouse gases, emissions are a byproduct of combustion or other anthropogenic warming. Anthropogenic meaning human caused. Anthropogenic emissions result from a variety of energy related activities, whether it's driving a car or anything in the transportation sector, heating our home, anything involving utilities, agriculture, the food we eat, land use change, all of these things, when you think environment, is emissions. And emissions is how we measure our carbon footprint. For more details on scope one, two, and three, emissions, greenhouse gases, all of the things we just talked about, we'll put a link in our show notes. Joining me on the show today is Dan White, CEO and founder of Signal. Dan is a behavioral and environmental expert with extensive experience creating successful innovations to save large amounts of carbon quickly. His company, Signal, is founded upon peer-reviewed research with Virgin Atlantic, which in an eight-month time period saved over $6 million worth of fuel, 24,000 metric tons of CO2, and made pilots feel better, a unique triple bottom line. Before launching Signal, Dan managed the UK's first energy natural field experiment and was previously CEO and co-founder of The Behavioralist a successful US-UK-based research consultancy startup working with corporations and governments to integrate behavioral economics to solve internal challenges. Clients included Centrica, National Grid, Virgin Atlantic Airways, and UK local and national government. On top of all of that, Dan has worked in the trenches of the nonprofit sector, including supporting people experiencing homelessness. He inspires me because everything he does, he does to make the world a better place. And I'm so excited to welcome Dan to be the first guest on The Net Zero Life. Dan, welcome to the show. 
I am incredibly excited. Uh, you know, today we're going to talk about behavioral economics and how I can convince myself or trick myself into becoming net zero. Along the way, I'd love to learn about you, about nudging, uh, and just signal in general. So, with that, can you uh, can you share your name and your title? Sure. Thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Dan White, and I am the CEO at a UK-based technology startup called Signal. Awesome. So you are uh, this fascinating polymath, right? You you start as a, a homelessness caseworker and make your way to two-time tech founder, uh, changing the world from a behavioral economics standpoint. Can you like, just walk me through a bit of that journey? How did you, where did you start? How did you end up where you are? You're also like a sustainability superhero. You've been on the sustainability train, I think it looks like for almost 15 years. Just walk me through what that's been like. Wow, thank you. Um, yeah, I I began, um, I suppose I had a, an innate um, interest in nature. I studied ecology as an undergrad, specifically vegetation ecology. So I was mapping large communities, plant communities of woodland and grassland and whatnot. Um, and so that I was fortunate to have a really, um, a really strong connection with, I suppose, the the world and the landscape which we're which we're trying to protect, uh, and did a lot of that work in a in a beautiful part of the UK called the Lake District. Um, fast forward uh, through to the homelessness work you mentioned, it was a good opportunity to provide uh, some 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 great support to some some people who've just had hard times. Um, I, in the background, I'd always remained an environmental campaigner, um, being members of organizations you've probably heard about that campaign for sustainability um, from, a, from an NGO perspective. And f- again, I was, uh, I, I was lucky to secure a, a government position working in, uh, in London, looking at uh, areas of uh, something called fuel poverty, which is effectively where people can't afford to pay their, their, their heating bills because their homes are quite inefficient um, and general sustainability. And in that job, I was fortunate to do uh, three things. Um, one was I invented a new method of insulating buildings using uh, repelling, I think you say in the US, but this was abseiling in the UK. Uh, that created a 30 million pounds industry pretty quickly over here. Repelling, like yeah, like window yeah. washing repelling. So, um, so just a, a little bit more detail on that. Um, we have quite a lot of high-rise buildings in cities, as you probably do in the states too. Um, the construction of those buildings means that they have what's called a, a cavity between the external and the internal wall, and the way to insulate or make that building more energy efficient would be to fill that cavity with. An insulating material such as mineral wool or polystyrene beads or whatnot. And so one day looking out the window, actually looking at a window cleaner for, for that matter, and looking at this enormous scaffolding bill that we had and thinking, hey, we could use those guys <laughs> to do this. And um, fast forward sort of two years along the line, and I was on the BBC doing an interview about um, about using this in for the first time in history. That there's an important point there, which is that 
experience led me personally to think I, there's, there might be an entrepreneur in here. Um, and we'll come to that in a moment. But um, a couple of other things that I did in that job, the the, the second one was um, I did a lot of work with green roofs, which if you don't know, are how you put vegetation onto buildings and create habitats kind of above the city um, that are designed to to suit the preferences of, of, of the of the designers. And the final thing, and this is most important to this conversation, arguably, um, I met my current co-founder, a guy called Rob Metcalf, who's now a professor at the University of Southern California. And we delivered the UK's, one of the UK's first ever randomized control trials looking at domestic energy consumption and here we were taking energy in the home we were taking readings from energy in the home and comparing people to their neighbors as a means to nudge them to be more energy efficient and um, it was really effective and that opened my eyes to the world of behavioral economics so fantastic rob metcalf and nudging which uh, I'm, I'm really excited to get into what is nudging so uh, it's a great question. Um, nudging is a term used to describe um, how we can utilize the irrationality of human decision making to improve um, choices. And a good example of that is um, that the when I described earlier the use of social comparisons to affect energy consumption. That is based upon the premise that humans love to belong to groups. And by positioning someone outside of a group, i.e. 95% of your neighbors are energy efficient and you're in the 5% that are not, uh, is a way to motivate people to want to be in the group and therefore to be more energy efficient rather than the more rational approach of, of communicating, which is essentially... Uh, turn down your heating or turn down your thermostat and you can save X dollars or, or X tons of CO2 each year. And this approach of using contextual factors such as social comparisons or even uh, in the supermarket, we see fresh fruit and vegetables at the front of the supermarket to prime us to be thinking that everything in the store is fresh. A lot of these techniques are really, really valuable in um, in understanding how we can move the needle in human behavior. And, and I think nudging is, is a way to describe it, which means that people are not being um, shoved or forced into doing something differently, and they always have the free will and choice not to follow this route. And I think the term nudging was coined by um, Richard Thaler, the... Um, famous Nobel Prize winning economist from the University of Chicago, who used that term as a means of expressing that that free will of not doing something always existed. Yeah, I'm super excited to get into this because, uh, you know, one of the first things I, I, where I feel like I've come into nudging is Wikipedia does the opposite. They, they say only 2% of our donors, right, uh, or only 2% of people who read this give, which is kind of like the opposite of what you were saying. Um, but it seems that uh, when I go to a hotel, it's the, it's like, you know, 75% of people reuse the towel. So like, how do you decide which lens to use, the negative or the positive side? That's that's a great question. And I, I must stress that um, 
moving into the context of signal it means that we are not really working with social comparisons as a means to nudge employee behavior because we we feel as if um, the use of social comparisons could have a negative impact as well as a, as, as a positive impact. I think that the, the power of using norms or social norms in, in, in reducing energy consumption, for instance, has been to position someone in, in a minority and, and therefore be almost looking over the proverbial fence at something that everyone else is doing and wanting to be part of that crowd and that's that's been a, a technique that's also been successful in helping people to save money uh, and to collect income tax as well as another example got it and so we kind of are touching on this and i'm really excited to get into signal behavioral economics behavioral science just like a quick primer on what every person needs to understand about it and, and maybe a good resource. I've, I think I've tried to read Thinking Fast and Slow like four times uh, and I've gotten about halfway through it and I, I, I know I need to get through it. But just for the lay people, including myself out there, quick uh, explanation. Sure, yeah. Um, so fundamentally, um, behavioral economics is um, the understanding that human beings are not rational decision makers and they're there are biases that we have within our brains that are hardwired into our decision-making that influence the way we make choices. It's, it's a super interesting field. Uh, and, and I suppose just to close this point off, what really drew me in um, to this particular field is seeing and experiencing the change in data and decisions that was showing uh, so the data was showing the change in decisions was really quite um, uh, an eye opener for me personally because it it proved that the theory was working in practice and that was that's quite an addictive thing um, because you you feel this kind of wow I can actually do something and it, and it, and I can measure it too so um, yeah it's it's uh, there are some some great works out there and um, i strongly encourage people to read up on the subject because it's so interesting but of course i would say that yeah so from my research you work you partner with virgin uh, to help them reduce their fuel consumption by nudging their pilot group right and you save 6.1 i think us million uh, dollars or maybe maybe pounds you remove 24000 pounds or 24,000 tons of CO2 from their emissions. How does, how does signal start? Is it uh, the research paper? How do you get Virgin uh, as your first customer? What was that like? Yeah. So the, the research itself was a study that was conducted with um, London School of Economics, uh, the University of Chicago and Virgin Atlantic. And there were three main academics working on the project. One is uh, Dr. Greer Gosnell, who I believe is now um, in a university in Colorado. Uh, there's my co-founder, Rob Metcalf, and John List, who I mentioned earlier. And the original premise was to look at the variance in operator efficiency, or in this case, pilot's fuel efficiency, across all of the pilots at Virgin Atlantic. And this... The, the way that this was done was was trying to fix all of the external factors that would lead to 
and influence in fuel efficiency. So, for example, the weather, the aircraft, the airport, um, all of these factors that, that have a, an external influence over the fuel efficiency of the plane. Once they were all controlled for, it, we could line up the the, the, the captains into uh, almost like a, a ranking of the most efficient and the least efficient. And what was the first sort of startling fact was is that there were an order of magnitude between the least fuel efficient and the most fuel efficient. And I just want to reiterate, all of the other all of the other external factors were controlled for. So the only reason these variances existed was because of management practices or behavioral decisions. So that led to the idea of, okay, can we, as, as academic researchers, and speaking on behalf of them, um, test whether or not some of the techniques rooted in behavioral science can be used to encourage and motivate these pilots to be more fuel efficient. And so uh, the experiment was undertaken, uh, the uh, captains were randomized into four groups. And, and um, I, I can talk about this in more detail if you like, but ultimately the, um, the findings were that the, there were particular nudges we can refer back to that term, um, relating to goal setting, um, which were extremely powerful in motivating changes in fuel efficiency for uh, this group of captains. And so armed with that information, and also as a sidebar, um, the, the use of charitable donations also in the same study had a dramatic effect on worker job satisfaction. So ultimately, the financial savings, the carbon savings, and the positive influence on job satisfaction made this an extremely quick and cheap triple bottom line solution. And when I personally saw these results, I, I decided to bet my life on this. Um, I thought, this is the most amazing solution I've, I've ever seen to deal with climate change. Um, because of the speed of impact. And therefore, I, I think we can scale this into a software solution where organizations can plug their operational data into the back end and we can automate the flow of management feedback on the front end, bringing in elements of, uh, in the future of artificial intelligence, other variables such as weather, um, time, speed, and whatnot, uh, so that we become this platform which is almost like super management um, and, and is primarily focused on sustainability at its core, but also links in um, elements of well-being as well, which ultimately, if you're, you, you've got more productive workers who are more environmentally sustainable and happier, as a manager, I think you've done your job. So um, we we are disrupting human resource management, uh, which is which is something I'm, I'm I'm really stoked about. And so much to get into here. Uh, maybe in a bit, I really want to learn. You know, pilots have a very succinct uh, operation, right? In terms of like they're using fuel through their job, and and I'm curious. How can I apply that? Is, is there something similar in terms of people in their everyday life? Is there a huge variance in, in people just like pilots in terms of efficiency? But before we get there, um, 
Signal is a for-profit company, correct? Yes. And so how much of what you do as the leader of Signal is driven by profits and founding a tech company versus help changing the world for the better and having a climate impact and fighting the climate crises. And I'll say that Signal's website, when you first go to it, the first thing you see is the most cost-effective way to reduce carbon emissions in any industry. Uh, and so we're already seeing this like juxtaposition of the, of the two profits and sustainability. So, Yeah, well, on, on, on that question, um, I, I'd be completely blunt with you. Um, and I'll try and get, be as noble as possible. The reason I, I personally believe a for-profit company is the best um, vehicle for us to travel in is because the problem is so vast and intense, we need to grow as fast as possible. And this method of running a tech startup in this way is, in my view, the, the has the least friction and is treading the most common path in order for us to grow as quickly as possible. And, and of course, there are going to be uh, beneficiaries on the way, investors and, and whatnot, myself, hopefully. But ultimately, I'm, I'm not, and, and this is the noble response, I'm not particularly driven by any personal gains out of this. Um, let's not say that too loud, but um, I'm, I'm, the noble side of this is, is I, I'm, I think these kinds of operational efficiency improvements are the only way we're going to have any impact on CO2 emissions. And um, just to get my proverbial soapbox out, we don't have much time. And if if the science is right, which it seems to be <laughs> happening that it is right a lot of the time. And so I think companies have to weigh up the risks of the opportunity cost of not doing something versus the risk of doing something and getting it wrong. And that's that's something I've personally struggled with, to be honest with you, um, in, in light of the, the, the low risk of getting something wrong. So, um, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's, I think being a tech startup is introduced us to impact investing as well, which is something which, um, I'm really passionate about and I met some great people. But ultimately, I, I really believe at the moment there's a, there is a, a shift happening where investors are looking not just to make money for themselves, but they're looking to create value. And that that's really refreshing. Um, I hope that answered the question. I mean, I feel warm and fuzzy inside. I can't say that everyone <laughs> does, but I, I mean, I love it. I buy into it. I, I'm the same way. Uh, I mean, to an extent, I'm not founding a tech company helping the world, unfortunately. But the podcast, the goal is just to, you know, if we can change one person's mind, I think uh, we're successful. And you know, aerospace is a great place to start. That saying, uh, you know, it's not a field that hasn't been touched. So aerospace is, I think, fair to say, one of the early integrators of data integration and um, using data to drive efficiencies. What is Signal going to do or what is Signal doing that, Boeing and Honeywell and Jepson and Airbus aren't like, how are they going to succeed? Uh, and, and I have my own thoughts. I'm curious for you from your side. Sure. Yeah. I, I, that's, that's a fantastic description. I think, um, I think ultimately you, you're absolutely correct. The, the data in aviation is fantastic in understanding human decisions. And I think aviation as a sector 
has traditionally approached problems with an engineering mindset. And, and by that, I mean, and I mean this in the nicest possible way from my humble experience, um, that if something is not working or needs to be improved, you do, we design a new way of doing it and we train the individuals to use that new system. And I think that approach lends itself very well to rational engineering models. I think when we talk about, as, as, as we talked about earlier, with regards to the variance in performance at the, at the human level, understanding how we move those less fuel efficient pilots and understanding why that is to become more fuel efficient is arguably not something we can train our way or engineer our way out of. And so that goes into the second part of your question, which um, which is what are the what are these companies not doing? And I, I and I personally think um, that they can be, and all of the companies you mentioned and more can be fantastic partners with organisations like Signal, where working together with their great engineering, both on the software side and the hardware side. And our knowledge and experience of delivering experiments and, and behavioral change, we become greater than the sum of our parts. So, so my, my view here is rather than be better than those systems that are already in place, we want to enhance them. We want to make them even better because I don't want to um, be critical because I think it's unfair. I think some of the things that these organizations you've you've mentioned that have, what they've built and done is 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 truly awesome um and all we want to do is say okay well we're in the 2020s now let's turn let's let's turn this decade into the decade of sustainability and also thinking about the person making operational efficiency potentially the first and most crucial step to a lower carbon future before the other the bigger stuff comes down the line like hydrogen electrification sustainable aviation fuels and whatnot yeah and so what are the i, I you know i maybe also want to put a plug in there are the pilots into this right I, I feel like at the end of the day the thesis is that some of them are lower performing is that the way way to phrase it uh I, I can assume, or I want to assume that everyone is has a heart of gold, right? Like that they're not trying to be, whether it's use more fuel, be um, spend more money. So what, like, what has their reaction been? And then we'll kind of get into uh, like, what data do we have for, for people who aren't pilots, just for people like myself? Like, what do I need? And in terms of to, to use behavioral economics or nudging to be more sustainable? Yeah, that, that, again, um, super interesting question. Uh, on the pilot side, I, I'll start answering this question by telling you potentially what has not worked, and that maybe give may, maybe will give an insight into what can be improved. The, and, and this goes back to what we were talking about earlier with nudges, the use of um, social comparisons and league tables, for that matter, have been a technique that we have seen used in aviation to benchmark pilots against good performance or benchmark pilots for good performance. And it's our view at Signal that the agency in the workplace, particularly the agency of employees, 
is is very different from the agency at home. And and by that I mean, if I'm saving fuel, it's not fuel that I'm saving for my household and my and me. It's for my company. And so, when you're scoring people against each other as a benchmark, we believe that that that's a powerful technique that can lead to feelings of inadequacy if you're not at the top of the league. Or to put another way, the there's an assumption that's made that everyone is innately competitive, which I'm not aware of that. So pilots as a group, I think, have been under quite a lot of pressure to conform to certain ways of doing things with safety, obviously, at the front of their mind. So having, um, having techniques given to them or, or provided to them which are arguably questionable in their nature to help them save fuel on top of a lot of the other things that they're doing can be um, can put a lot of, as I say, pressure, in, in my view, uh, on, on, on their roles. That being said, um, we have found almost every single pilot we've spoken with as being extremely motivated to, to um, helping the environment, very, very educated about what their impact is and wanting to make a difference. And I think um, our feedback has been, unless they're just saying it to be nice to us, but uh, I genuinely think that a lot of the pilots who have helped us build Signal have done that with enjoyment and delight. And um, we've built the product to try and engage their um, preferences so that they're feeling as if this is something which they are actually enjoying and, and, and they like to play with it, see their data and whatnot. Um, and so with regards to the, the point that you made on what do you need, um, I think there are some some key elements here for, for, for Signal um, which kind of answer that question. The first thing is, is great data, which is telling us what people are doing. And that is operational data. It's fuel data. Uh, so to, if we look at aviation, for instance, we're able to discern from uh, an airline's fuel data when an engine was turned off, when the plane was taxiing on the runway, or whether the, the auxiliary power unit, which um, is used on the plane when, when, when in the air, was switched off when the plane was at the gate and the plane was using uh, ground electrical power instead of um, the, the APU. And all of these tiny little uh, decisions can be picked up from the fuel data. So armed with that information, we know what is being done we can overlay that with the people who we know are, are flying or, or, or um, controlling the plane. And then that needs to have, and this is, it goes back to the point on pilots, this is where we have really listened to, to our users, that needs to be anonymized because we don't want to be a tool which is identifying and highlighting poor performance so that management are able to, um, I, this sounds terrible, but cull people who are not performing as well as their peers in their job. That's not what Signal is about. So we protect personal data and we do not allow individuals to be identified within, that, within our system so that the relationship that a user has is purely just with our system and not with the, the broader sphere of, of the company.
and, and then the final, and this is arguably the unique element of what we do, is the a- application of behavioral science or behavioral economics in the feedback of data to pilots in ways that we know will motivate them. And there are lots of different techniques that we use and experiment with. Ultimately, the key elements are personalization, goal setting, messengers, uh, so who and when are you sending the uh, message, and something called an affect, which is the use of emotional cues, colors, for instance, or or, or even images that elicit uh, a, an emotional response. And the combination of all of these techniques is built into the Signal platform to um, optimize delight, to optimize fuel efficiency, and to maximize trip satisfaction. And so if we were to apply this to people who don't have the same, I don't know if this is the proper use of instrument variable, variable like fuel, but to, let's just say, everyday consumers, uh, and their goal is to reduce their emissions, what are the goals, what are the nudges, how can they think about it, or really how can I think about the same technique to reduce my emissions, and what should my instrument variable be as a you know regular consumer? Well, I, I think... the. The, the science of behavioral economics and changing behavior is, is driven by data. So I think the, the, to use the analogy from before, I think the, the first areas where you can understand or your accountability or your footprint in the world are those areas where there is, there is good data because otherwise this becomes an, a, somewhat subjective. So energy use, water use, um, utility use, uh, electricity and gas, obviously, are ways where access to personal and household data is readily available. And there are, and it's obviously significant at the individual level. And so understanding um, how you as a person are, are impacting, is, is the first step. The, the next step is, and, and you're getting into an area which I don't feel too comfortable talking about because I'm talking about the changing the behavior of employees, but we're talking about an area which is how do I nudge myself to improve m- my own behavior? And I think there are a lot of techniques that, um, that can be used um, such as making written commitments, for instance. So you you look at your energy data or your water data, and you can see that there are marginal gains that you could make fairly easily. So why not write a letter and say, I by the first of April, twenty twenty one, I my name. Um, promise that I will do my best to reduce my energy or my water use to this level. That that just simple action of committing and signing that letter gives it that a little bit of extra emphasis and motivation. Um, there are uh, tools out there as well, not mentioning any names, that you can uh, log into or sign up to, which will compare you to your peers. Um, there are also um, other systems, again, I, I won't mention any names, where people will actually use commitment by us so that 
that you can pay to be part of um, a project and you will only receive your money you will you will receive a share of the winnings if if you're one of the people that achieve their goals so i think there are lots of tools out there that 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 um, an individual or a family can tap into but ultimately it's driven by data first and foremost because it's it's really difficult to 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 go through dry data and and um create it yourself and be motivated to collect the data and change the behavior at the same time. So that that's important. I think, and then just sort of moving across very quickly into trying to draw a bridge with signal. I think transportation is, is, is one area where um, we're trying to make gains. I think there's lots of great data, not only at the organizational level, but within a car, for instance, there, where um, we will see how many miles to the gallon we can now drive, and there, we know that there are techniques that we can um, deploy or use to improve our driving efficiency. And my partner and I actually have competitions and make jokes at each other about how poorly or well we're driving from an efficiency level. But I think that the fact that that exists and 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 i i think having that level of comedy and not taking it too seriously can bring the less nerdy of us into the equation and make it a bit more fun um but then drawing across into into what signal does signal is much more focused on larger data sets um and employees and that's a slightly different context because we know that some employees are not um, as motivated as their peers. And so there are techniques that we're using that are automated in our feedback that are designed to do that. So um, for a motivated individual, I think understand what your data is, have a look at how you can make the best use of that data and have fun with it. Um, Moving across to organization, organizational behavior change, there are uh, many systems out there that you could recommend to your company, which are simple to deploy. Um, yes, they might be experimental in nature, but when they work, they really work well. And they can be deployed in areas such as waste, water, energy, and as we're doing, aviation fuel. And we're also starting to work now with maritime and road transportation. And so going back to Signal, I, I think this is a fair comparison. Let me know if not. But we did an interview with Illumia, which is an ener- uh, efficiency as a service company. And their business model is based on the fact that they are going to get paid on how much you save. Uh, I think you can kind of apply something similar to Signal. But is that your approach to the customers, uh, whether that's airlines or trucking companies? Like, What has that been like? Um, do you are the alignment of uh, incentives shared between signal and, and the customer? That's a very interesting question. Um, it, it, it's, it's sector dependent in my experience. I started this company with a romantic ideal that um, we could have this kind of pay for performance model where we're paid as a percentage of our savings. That was quickly um, shot down. Uh, by airlines in particular, who um, were very keen on 
having a fixed pricing model and it, it's understandable especially when you when you're if you're operating on on extremely fine margins having something a very as having something as a variable cost in the future brings in an element of uncertainty um, and financial officers and uncertainty go like go like oil and water together they they don't mix so that being said it's been very difficult for us to as an early stage startup to emphasize that kind of model um, we do however think that when we have much more traction that might be a conversation that we can have much more easily but for now especially with the larger airlines it's 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 been it's been difficult it's been really difficult to um convince uh, that this is a, a a low risk high reward opportunity um and 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 get the traction that we need so a lot of the work that we're doing now is on the sort of medium sized airlines where procurement and sales cycles are, are much slower um in other sectors so in shipping for instance we now think that um this share of savings model might be applicable uh, without going into too much detail shipping is shipping is a very interesting sector uh, for many reasons one of which is they have this kind of really interesting split incentive structure where the owner of the ship charters the ship to someone else who pays the fuel and then the crew is provided by another company and so you have this really crazy split incentive system which is eons in in age and um and so it's interesting to, to sort of find the model that works for all of the parties um and i think the share of savings um i'm i'm calling it as my term um can work in those kinds of situations um so shipping might be an area where we have some success with that particular model in in road transportation that's uh, effectively to be determined at the moment we're just at the early stages of of simple subscription models and that might be a conversation that we can have down the line so i i think it can work but it, a lot of it depends on the industry ideals of the, the of the companies that you're working with in aviation i just simply think that the numbers were so large that the finance office is a little uncomfortable with those being variable totally fair and we're talking about financial savings do you think that will be in a place where we're talking about shared carbon savings is there a future where signal instead of being paid in dollars is going to be paid in in uh, like carbon credits or something along those lines I'd, I'd love that. Um, I think maybe this is wishful thinking. I certainly do see marked changes in market mechanisms to reduce pollution. Um, and, and, and it's simple. I mean, again, we're going into economics, but it, it's simply for me um, clarified by there, there is a cost that cost could be in the future that cost could be now through air quality but somebody is going to have to pay for this so why isn't the cost um included in the price of, of the utility or the fuel and 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 this is my very amateurish economic view but um when we talk about um using carbon as a means of 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 um 
compensation. I think we have to give carbon its ability to grow in value because I think, in my view, this decade, through especially through mechanisms in aviation such as, such as Corsia, um, I, I know that there are similar mechanisms being discussed in shipping and it's likely that they will feed through into, into other sectors. The price of carbon could be fairly volatile, arguably, and thus it's very difficult and risky to tie yourself to a market um, a, a market that is could go up or down in value fairly quickly. What we've tried to do at Signal, and we're actually exploring this right now, is looking at whether we could use the commercial savings from an airline and and are they big enough under under different conditions to buy enough offsets that the airline could become net zero by simply using Signal? Um, and the answer is yes, it is possible. Um, and so that's dependent on the price of fuel, the price of carbon, and our effect size, obviously. But in principle, we're really excited by the potential of using Signal as a means to speed up the offsetting process and reduce the overall cost to the polluters, but without changing the car- the amount of carbon that's being offset. And I think that that's that's a story that we can maybe give you some information on uh, later because we're still in the early stages of that. Yeah, please do, and, and we can definitely put that in the show notes as well. Something. I really enjoy exploring on the show as well. And, and personally, I don't know, and I'm learning about where does the responsibility fall in terms of the emissions? Like, is it the passenger flying on the airline? Is it the airline itself? Is it the fuel provider? So if we think about the um, you know, scope one, scope two, scope three emissions, only one person needs to reduce it from the net zero standpoint, right? Whether it's the fueler, the um the fuel producer, the airline, or the passenger. Uh, from your perspective, do you have uh, any indication of where the responsibility lies? I do. Um, <laughs> just cautiously wanting to tell you what my honest opinion is. I think um, my. I think ultimately we're talking about the price of a commodity and the commodity or, or the price of, of fuel. And the, the price of fuel is created by a number of factors, some of which are regulatory, some of which are just the cost of the goods that, that, that are being sold, the mining, the, the extraction and whatnot. And all of those co- things combined, along with the margins of the fuel companies that are selling the fuel, create a, a, a market and a price. Why shouldn't the price of carbon be included in that? Why shouldn't the cost of the harm be included in that price all the way down uh, or all the way upstream um, from a regulatory standpoint? And to give the larger oil companies their dues, I'm certainly of the opinion that they are supportive of this process. Um, I know that Shell, for instance, have made... um, some big statements about their wanting to own scope one, scope two, scope three emissions all the way through the chain. And, and that's that's a difficult thing to own. Um, so I think it's possible to give that sense of, of, of uh, responsibility to the oil companies, but the regulations have to be tight. We're dealing with an international market here, which is complicated at the best of times. 
I don't I don't personally believe leveraging that onto the passenger is going to be a highly productive outcome, largely due to the fact that a lot of people don't really put the environment at the top of their priority list. And it's going to take a lot for them to do that. I'd be knee deep in water for some people, you know. So um, with that in mind, I think the simplest solution is 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 to push this upstream to to the extraction of oil and and have the harm that's pr- priced into the price of fuel, um, which gives much more of a level playing field, arguably against the the more sort of cleaner technologies out there that, that are potentially more expensive in their generation costs. Yeah, well, my hope is that uh, through this podcast and through other great podcasts, we can nudge people and passengers, potential passengers, to fly on those airlines that are more uh, fuel efficient. I know personally, I mean, I'm a big fan of Google flights. Uh, flights. I spend way too much time on there. Uh, but if they had a sustainability scorecard for each airline, uh, I, I, I mean, I wonder how cost sensitive I would be and like how elastic that is, but absolutely. I mean, I already choose who I fly based on who I like uh, from a service. And so, uh, and, and I do pay more for that, whether that's Alaska Airlines plug, uh, Southwest plug, right? Um, I think they're great airlines and, and I hope that they're incredibly fuel efficient. If I found out they weren't, uh, that would really change things for me. That saying, uh, so much to talk about. I've had such a great time and I wanna be respectful of your time. And so I have a few wrap-up fun questions before we get started. Uh, Signal, I I wish you guys so much luck with Signal. It it sounds like a great company, and and I'm looking forward to seeing it introduced across the entire transportation vertical. So with that, um, why the name Signal? The name Signal is uh, is from two two sources. The first one is... uh, separating the signal from the noise, which is uh, a nod to our use of data to become useful. Um, and the use of the changing of the A in the word signal to O is a, a very uh, rudimentary nod to our ability to use science um, or, or, this, or very scientific methods in, 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 in our approach. And that's using experiments and whatnot. And that's simply um, a lot of um, chemicals uh, that you that we've all um, had in, in in our chemistry lessons at school have the uh, OL at the end, um, phenols, alcohols, blah blah blah, uh, those sorts of things. So it it, it was a a cheeky um, change of the word signal. Um, and we found it's actually quite a, a fairly common French surname, which is uh, which didn't help our um, SEO very well. <laughs> so, uh... yeah, I imagine. I do think we're past the age. So it's Signal.io for people who are looking uh, to go online, and I think we are past the age of the .com uh, where it has to be .com. Like people don't look at it and be like, I, I think .net still has a little bit of uh, people are like, hmm, but .io feels modern and, and cool. So I, hopefully, no issue there. This is a question that potentially has a very long answer, but if we can keep it short, who would you say is the leading government in terms of climate innovation, and which country has the greatest, no pun intended, but innovation climate? I I'm, I will say I, I don't know. Um, it, it would be unfair of me to say because I think it's easy to fall into the trap that it's the government that's shouting the loudest. 
um, which is often a problem that we fall into with many things in life where uh, we listen to the loudest voice, not the wisest. So um, I, I'm actually going to give you a short answer and say, I don't know. I can I can certainly give you examples of governments that are walking the walk as opposed to just talking the talk. Um, I think the Scandinavian countries have always um, been up there as, as leading um, from a policy perspective. I've found countries like um, this, there's, there's obviously Bhutan, which is um, just completely off the scale when we talk about their approach to the natural world and also well-being. And arguably, it might be difficult for more Western ideals to fit into those sorts of models. Um, but ultimately, I think um, countries like um, the US and Canada and China, obviously, are are where the, the, the big decisions are made. Um, and without getting overly political, I think a lot of us have a lot of a lot of hope now that um, the decision makers within those countries are now going to start to come together and and realize that there's something that needs to be done and it needs to be done quickly um, for the benefit in the long term rather than just short term commercial gains. So um, I gave you a very woolly answer deliberately. Um, I, and it's because simply I, I don't know. But um, there, there are models that can be followed, such as the Scandinavian models and whatnot. Um, but um, ultimately, I think all lies are on are on North America and China. Yeah, and, and you know, double tap on China committing to net zero by twenty sixty. U.S. nothing, nothing yet. Hopefully soon. What would you say to people, or what what do you say to people interested in working at Signal? I think anyone who would be interested in working at Signal is, is I'm hoping would be joining a company which is very passionate about data science, very passionate about uh, humans and decisions and innovation, but ultimately extremely, our mission is driven by making an impact on, uh, for the environment, uh, social impact and driving a fundamentally profit with purpose. And so people who come to Signal will be joining a family. Um, they will have lots of fun, smile um, a lot more than they probably expect to. But ultimately, it we, we want this to be a fire that burns within people so they feel as if it's not just a job, it, it's a mission and this is a vehicle in order to to, to get there. I definitely feel that um, right now. So last question, uh, what is your sustainability vice? Yeah, from my lens, you come across as uh, like a paragon in terms of changing the world for the better, but is there anything you do that's carbon intensive that you're just not ready to give up yet? I'm, I've actually, I'm actually, I've actually been a good boy. Um, and by that, I gave up flying for 14 years. That uh, is when I incredible. Was, when I was younger for environmental reasons. Um, I, we compost all of our food waste through wormeries at home. Uh, I'm still fighting with my teenage daughters to, to recycle better, but that's, that's another story. Um, I think the thing that I probably could change the most now, and this is a slight irony after Signal has 
has started is the, the the amount of air travel that comes with this response with this role. I think working in aviation and shipping in particular, we're dealing with international markets, and I'm very fortunate to um, be able to travel to some of the most amazing places in the world. Um, but at the same time, it's extremely costly environmentally for me to get there. So. That is something um, I, I would definitely change. And it's been a constant source of amusement in my household with my partner who thinks that I'm the most ironic person on the planet. <laughs> Dan, thank you so much for your time. How should people get in touch? Um, you can get in touch with me directly. Um, my email address is dan at signal.io. That's S-I-G-N-O-L. Um, I promise to uh, respond to everybody who gets in touch um, and you can connect with, with me personally on LinkedIn. Please check out our website. They can give you all of the links to our social media and all of the news updates from, from our company. But um, thank you so much for having me today. It's been, a, it's been really nice talking with you. Yeah, of course. That's a block. I'm, I'm incredibly excited for you and I'm incredibly excited for Signal. Thanks again to Dan White for joining us today on the show. You can find him on LinkedIn or via email at dan at signal.io. This episode was produced by Tani Lovett. Original music composed by Climb On Band. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, please consider leaving a review wherever you get your podcasts. FYI, fewer than 1% of listeners leave reviews. So every person that does means the world to us. Good nudge? Bad nudge? Let us know on social media. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram by subscribing to at the net zero life. You can also reach out directly to me via email through Nathan at the net zero life.com. All of this will be in the show notes. So don't worry if you're going for a walk. New episodes drop every Tuesday. Next week, we've got an awesome guest, co-founder of a carbon offset platform. She and her co-founders are Y Combinator graduates, and they have a lot to share on the right way to zero out your emissions. Until next week, I'm Nathan Svee, and this is The Net Zero Life.